0: Well good morning, we are celebrating Veterans Day and I just want to affirm what Neil said and say thank you to all of those of you who have served. And you know right around the corner we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving as well and not long after that it'll be time to celebrate Christmas you guys. Did you notice there is a massive Christmas tree out in the atrium this morning and when Chad and I got in the car after lunch this week, Christmas music on the radio. (laughs) So are you ready for it? Hey, if you're not, I have really good news for you today. We are still in Luke 24 in the middle of Easter. So we're going to celebrate Easter some more today because as we come to Luke 24, 36, this is still the day of Jesus' resurrection. And without this day, Christmas isn't worth celebrating anyhow. And so you remember, the women found the tomb empty. They run and tell the disciples. Peter runs back to the tomb, but two of those other disciples start this journey to Emmaus. Emmaus. On their way, Jesus himself joins them and eventually reveals himself to them as he teaches them through the entire Old Testament everything about himself. Then he disappears, they go back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of his closest friends what they had just experienced, what Jesus had told them, and that is exactly where we pick it up today in Luke twenty-four thirty-six. It says, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit literally a ghost and he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have when he had said this he showed them his hands and his feet But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. As you read this passage, there are a lot of details here that are like, of all the things that Luke could have recorded, of all the things that Jesus did after he rose while he was still on earth, why this moment? Because if this isn't real, Christmas is not worth celebrating, and we're wasting our time here this morning. But I think that our key verse today is verse 39, where Jesus said to them, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. That word handle, literally, take hold. Grab on to me. Take hold of these things. And so I think that there are three things that we can take hold of this morning. Three realities of the resurrection. And and the first of those is this. The first reality to take hold of is that the risen Jesus speaks peace to you. The risen Jesus speaks peace to you. You notice when he comes in, it says, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. Now, there's one sense in which that could be kind of a normal greeting. If he was speaking his home language, that would be shalom. Here in the Greek, the word is a Reine. But that could be something you say, peace to you as you come, peace to you as you leave. But I think Jesus is doing a little bit more than that here. Because Matthew uses this word twice. Mark uses this word once. John uses this word five times. The majority of those coming... ...in the resurrection, Luke uses the word 13 times. And nine of those are directly connected to the peace that we find through Jesus Christ. You might remember, speaking of Christmas... ...it is Luke who says in the prophecy of Zechariah... ...that the Messiah would come to lead us into the way of peace. It is Luke in chapter 2 who said that the angels sang peace on earth. When Jesus is born, now there's peace on earth. And you notice too, he says, Jesus himself. In our key verse, you saw that Jesus said, I myself. And last week on the road to Emmaus, the same phrase, Jesus himself. Here's why. Right? It's not just, and Jesus came in. It's Jesus himself. Luke is trying to emphasize for us here that this really is Jesus. This is not a dream about Jesus. This is not a hallucination about Jesus. It's not an apparition that kind of looks like Jesus. It's not the ghost of Jesus' past. This is Jesus Christ, who they have known and loved for years in the flesh. It's Jesus himself who speaks peace to you. And so with all this talk of peace, naturally they are terrified and frightened. (laughs) Why? Why? Well, I want to show you this. This is Papyrus 75. And this is so cool, because this, this comes from the oldest extant copy that we have of the book of Luke. And what you see on the left side there, that's the page that we're on. That is Luke 24, 31, all the way through 50. So, like, the rest of the book of Luke is on this page. Clean cut, totally intact. But what I've underlined for you there, the reality you've got to realize is, for centuries now, for millennia leading up to us sitting here this morning... People have been letter by letter, word by word, carefully copying out the book of Luke so that you and I get exactly the details that were originally written. And so what would have happened? What you see here, the first word that's underlined there is the word peace. That as a scribe wrote this out, he would write, erene, continue on to the end of the line, drop down to the next line, and the second word underlined right next to peace, phoboi, from phobeomai, where we get phobia, fear, peace, and fear right next to each other in this passage. The contrast is real. And Tim Keller talks about it this way. He explains that for us, we are so used to hearing the Christmas story and the Easter story that even if I'm still skeptical about God, Jesus, the Bible, I'm not sure about r- literal resurrection and I want more details, even so, we're so familiar with it that we've sort of lost the sense of how awe-inspiring, even fearful that could be. Because for his disciples, this is a moment where everything they believed about Jesus, everything that they had trusted him for, everything that he had taught them, suddenly becomes incredibly clear and incredibly real. Beyond even their wildest dreams. Right? In this moment, when the Jesus they thought was dead, even though they kept hearing these reports and Peter saw the tomb empty and all this stuff, now he's standing there in their midst. The other gospels tells us the doors were locked. So he didn't walk in. He appeared. (laughs) And if this resurrection is real, if it's physical, if this really is Jesus himself, then Jesus really is Lord. What that means is that you really can be forgiven for every mistake that you have ever made, for every way that you have ever fallen short of your own standard, let alone God's perfect, holy standard. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It also means that if you choose not to believe that, if you reject him, there's a very real place called hell. That is a little bit scarier, isn't it? And yet in this moment, Jesus is offering peace. I think that's why in so many of the resurrection narratives, when he walks in, the first thing he says is, peace to you. Like, I know this is about to blow your mind, so before you even get started, peace to you. But there's even more to it than that. If you go to the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, in fact, back in Romans chapter 3, he actually says, quoting the Old Testament, that we don't know the way of peace. And your homework can be to read Romans 3 through 5. I mean, read the whole book, but especially 3 through 5, I love. But in Romans 5, by the time he gets to this point, look at what he said in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, right? He's making a case. It's not by works, not by my good deeds, not by impressing God. It's by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope. Of the glory of God. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul puts it this way: in Ephesians 2:14, he speaks of Jesus and says, "He himself, Jesus himself, is our peace." So when Jesus walks in and says, "Peace to you,", you know, that could be translated, "Peace be with you." Could be translated, "Peace is with you." And I think just like when the angels sing peace on earth and what they mean is Jesus is here, I think when Jesus walks in and says peace to you, it's much more than hello. It's peace is here because I'm here. Peace is with you because I just showed up in the room. He himself is our peace. You know, we look for peace and comfort in so many different places. Because we long for it, don't we? Like just imagine some of the times in your life where you've been worried or anxious or fearful about the future. To be able to just take a deep breath and have peace. And so we search for it. And sometimes we try to find it in other things. We, we look for peace and comfort in food. We look for it in sex. We look for it in success. We look for it in relationships. And listen, those things I just listed are not bad things. They can be good things, but they were not designed to give you peace. They were not designed to be your comfort. And what happens is, when we look for peace anywhere besides Christ, it breaks. They become addictions. We start finding more and more unhealthy ways to pursue them. And yet we still don't have peace, and it just drives us crazy. But here is Jesus, in this moment, saying... I am peace. I'm here, Jesus himself, peace to you. But that's only possible if the resurrection is real. And even his closest friends, his disciples, guys that we know by name, still had some doubts. And so you notice in the next verse how Jesus responds. This is the second thing that we get to take hold of. Let Jesus help you handle your doubt. He says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? So the reality of the moment is, as much as they love Jesus, as much as this is like everything they would have wanted, they're struggling to believe it. How did he get here? What's he doing in this room? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Maybe I'm hallucinating. Maybe I got a bad piece of broiled fish. I don't know. But he addresses their doubts directly. Notice that he does not shame them. We read it. He, He shows them. He meets them in that moment. He says, if you doubt that I'm physically here, take hold. Literally take hold of your doubt. Come here, touch my hand, see my feet, embrace me, give me a hug, shake my hand. Take hold of the doubt that you're feeling. Guys, that is such an encouragement to me. Because I think a lot of times in kind of the Christ-following world, or even as we're just exploring what that faith might look like, it feels like if I voice doubts, like I'm, I'm the weak one. Or I'm the remedial student. And I don't want to even bring those things up. And so we'll just sit in the room and everybody else seems to believe this. So I guess I'll just be quiet for today. But I love that in Jesus' life, when earnest people who know him, maybe they love him, maybe they're not sure yet, but they doubt something, they feel like they need more evidence, whatever that piece is, he doesn't seem to equate doubt with unbelief. But doubt is a tipping point between belief and unbelief, right? This is a place where we ask some of our best questions, where we get to dig even deeper, where we get to find out if Jesus really is who he says he is. And in this moment, Jesus leans into their doubt with him. He says, let me help you take hold, handle your doubt. Oz Guinness in one of his books outlines something like nine different kinds of doubt um, that can come on us. I want to give you just a few of them, a couple of his mixed in with with a couple that I've been thinking about Because I think there are a few different types of doubt that that approach us and can get into our heads. And the first one, kind of the one that we're seeing in this passage, is doubt from a lack of evidence. And that's reasonable, right? If somebody brings me this book and says, I'd like to tell you about a man who came back from the dead. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So just just show of hands. Because that is, that's hard to process, right? So how many of you have ever seen someone risen from the dead? Let's just say, let's say just in the last week last month? I mean, I don't want to go too far back here, right? I have never seen this, okay? And I'll bet you haven't either. And yet here it is saying that everything hinges on this. If, just, if Jesus fulfills all the prophecies about being born and dying and stays dead, then he's not the Messiah. Because there are prophecies that his kingdom will last forever, his life will live forever, he will be risen, and because of his life he can give us life. The resurrection is critical, but for me to believe something that so goes against the laws of nature, I'm going to want to see evidence. And I think that's part of why God gives us so much time in the Old Testament of prophecy. So many things that are so pinpoint accuracy that by the time we get to Jesus and see that he fulfills all of them, that's, at the very least, that's enough for me to say, well, he was right about all of that. Maybe he's right about this too. Because there's even more prophecy to come. You know, it's why we love so much digging into the archaeology. You know, finding these old papyrus that have all of the details copied down for millennia and for centuries from eyewitness accounts. But sometimes we have the evidence, and that's not really where the doubt is coming from. Sometimes we're like the guys on the road to Emmaus last week. They had all the details, all the facts all of the evidence they'd heard all the stories they knew about the empty tomb their closest friends were telling them the truth but they were still struggling and I think their doubt is something closer to a lack of commitment even though they had all the information it wasn't sinking into their hearts they weren't living in the reality of it and that's true for us sometimes Sometimes when we feel like our faith is rocky, we feel like our questions are too difficult, we feel like we are are doubtful about the future or even our own past, it's coming from the fact that we're leaning away from God instead of leaning in. That there are times where I say, I want to believe it, but I don't really want to have to make that change in my life. I, I don't really want to sacrifice that thing. I don't really want to have to give up that stuff. I, I, I'm not sure... And how do we know the Bible's really true anyway? And it can back up into these other kinds of doubt. You know, one that I've struggled with a lot is, is the next one on there, doubt from a faulty view of self. And this is one that I think the enemy loves to use against us, and, and a lot of us were pretty good at using this against ourselves too. But to find yourself in a moment where it's like, I know all the facts, I know all the details, I know all these things, and I want to be committed to God, and I've trusted him for my forgiveness, but like, what if he's mad at me? Or what if I messed up? Or, or what if I didn't do it right? Or, or what if I'm not really forgiven? And guys, none of that is based in reality. But it's the kind of doubt that wants to creep in because it will slow you down if it can get you with fear. You know, I had a time a couple of years ago, a lot of you knew me then, where I was really wrestling with that. And it's like I knew all of this truth and yet there was this little corner of my brain that would keep you know, trying to shout those things at me. And I think you see some of the New Testament writers even wrestle with this kind of stuff. and It was so crazy to me because in the middle of that, I had literally five different people, like uh, my boss, my mentor, my counselor, my dad, and my wife, all saying the same scriptures to me, all giving me the same truth in the same week, and literally within like a five-day span, all of them said to me, I I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, either you're going to believe it and have confidence in his resurrection and his saving grace, or you're not. And, and, like, it felt goofy to hear that, because I'm like, well, of course I believe that. Well, then, wh- why aren't you feeling peaceful? What, what are you doing with this anxiety? Why are you letting that in? You know, one of the things that I learned out of that is my faulty view of self often comes from a faulty view of God. Right? Because I'm starting to judge myself again. I'm making a list of all my mistakes. I'm, I'm rehearsing to myself all the things I've done wrong, and I'm forgetting that God says he keeps no record of sins. That God says that if I've trusted Jesus Christ and if you have for your forgiveness when he looks at you he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That what he gives you is the resurrection life of Jesus. But if we don't get that straight then we often circle back around to and maybe I don't believe in God anyway. So you see how all of these doubts can play together. But I love how Jesus helps them handle it. Because here's a perfect example. This this comes out of John chapter 20. If I asked you, who is the most famous doubter in the history of the world? Who would you say? (sighs) How dare you? That is so unfair to Thomas. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, we call him Doubting Thomas. And yet, watch this scene in John chapter 20. After eight days... so, so you and I are in Luke 24 on Easter. This is eight days later. Watch what happens. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. So he missed the first meeting. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like exactly what is happening in Luke 24? Think about this. Instead of Jesus saying, Hey, sorry Tom, you missed the meeting and I've got other things to do. He comes back eight days later when he knows Thomas will be there and does all of the same stuff all over again. For who? For one person. For Thomas because he loved Thomas. And he even says in that passage, Thomas, you have seen and so you believe. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That's us, right? I don't have the chance right now to touch his physical hands or to see his physical body. And yet, I think he offers you and I the same thing that he offered Thomas, that Jesus cares that much about you individually. He wants to help you Take hold of your doubt. He wants to lean in and show you more evidence that he is who he says he is. And that that comes out of his love for you, his love for us. So I actually like to call him Honest Tom instead. So you can all join me in that if you want to. <laughs> because he's a guy who is willing to go there. Imagine if instead of telling the disciples he was struggling, he kept it to himself and just never came over again. But he tells them, Guys, I wish it was true, but I'm not going to believe it until I see him myself. You know, and there may be a piece of this where Jesus is thinking, Thomas, you shouldn't need that. But you know what? I love you, and so let me give you this gift. Let me show you that I am real. And guys, that's exactly what he does in Luke 24, because we've come to our key verse in 39. He tells them, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He wants them to have all of the evidence of a physical resurrection. So imagine this moment. Every other resurrection that has ever happened in Scripture, all of them in the Old Testament, even the ones that Jesus did before this, and and all the things that happened in Acts or anywhere else, all of those people were raised from the dead... ...to die again. They were still in these physical bodies. But Jesus is the first fruits... ...the New Testament calls him... ...of the resurrection. Because his resurrected body... ...will never die. This is everlasting life. And he has told us he's coming again. All the prophecies that have been fulfilled... ...there are prophecies still to come... ...that Jesus, Lord and Savior king of kings, is coming back. And it's very possible that you and I will be here when that happens. And so you can go back outside later today. It's going to be warm enough. You can stand there for a minute. Just look up at the sky. I know this is one of those things that like sounds a little weird. This is when, kind of like for the disciples, you you almost imagine what would that moment be like when everything I've said I believe suddenly becomes so incredibly real. You look up at the sky and you just imagine suddenly a flash of light. And coming out of this, this incredible light that's blinding is this shape, almost a shadow that it looks like a human being. And as you see it, you think you hear what sounds like somebody's blowing on a ram's horn, and you realize it's him. He meant it. He's coming on the clouds. It was more true than I ever realized. Or maybe he doesn't come back until you and I are already gone. But if your confidence is in him for your forgiveness, for your righteousness, I I love the way Chad puts it, that that I'm not a bad person that needs to be made good. I'm a dead person that needs to be made alive. There are dead spots in my life, in my heart, that he wants to bring life to. And that starts with his forgiveness. When I trust him as my savior, he promises me resurrection life. And he will bring me home And if you have that confidence in him, he will bring you home to a place that he's prepared for you in heaven. And I wonder when you get there, as he walks towards you, will he hold out his hands and feet? Is that how we're going to know it's him? Because there will be holes in his physical body that he can say, look, this is where the nails were. This is where my blood poured out for you. And like, you can hug Jesus. You can embrace the Savior who loved you enough to die for you, but didn't stay dead. Guys, our future in Christ is a physical future. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes it this way. The whole, here's more homework, okay? All of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. This is such good stuff. You'll be encouraged. You'll be confused. You will learn new things. You'll be excited. It, it's great. I'm going to give you just a couple of highlights because here's one that I think is fun kind of for us. Fifteen fourteen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week. But he goes on, because that's true. If the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now listen to this, because he tells us later in the chapter, verse 49, As we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, as we've borne his image, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's Jesus. Paul describes that our resurrected bodies will be like Christ's resurrected bodies. What does that mean? (laughs) Like, I can walk through walls? I heard one guy describe it as moving at the speed of thought. Way beyond the speed of light. You're done here? You need to be somewhere else? Think it and there you go. Seems to be the kind of thing that Jesus is doing. And yet, he's not a ghost, he's not a spirit, he's not an apparition. He's got flesh and bone. Paul in that chapter uses the word mystery. It is absolutely a mystery. But here's what I think that gives us. The third thing that we get to take hold of is that we can rejoice in his physical presence. Rejoice in his physical presence. Look at what happens in verse 41. While they still did not believe for joy and marveled, so this is like the, it's almost too good to be true kind of doubt, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now what a strange detail to include, right? That's one of those moments where it's like, of, of all the things you could have told us about, like, did he do any other miracles? Did he meet any other people? Like, isn't it Matthew who said, like, a bunch of other people walked out of their graves? And, like, instead of that one-liner, Luke gives us fish and honeycomb. Interesting. Here's why. That becomes concrete evidence for the resurrection, really in two ways. One is because at this point in literary history, you are either writing legend or you are writing history. And legends do not include this kind of detail. What we realize is, this detail gets in here... Because Luke asked somebody, what was that moment like? I don't know if it was Peter. I don't know if it was John. I don't know if it was James. But you think about what he says. Tell tell me, what was it? It was the evening of his resurrection, right? And James maybe says, yeah, Luke, it was crazy. I mean, we were all standing there. We we locked the door, man. We were scared of the Jews. We knew they were coming for us because they thought we had the body, but we didn't have the body. And then all of a sudden, like, bam! Jesus himself! I, we didn't even know what to do. Like I was freaking out. I mean, Peter was freaking out. John fell down. I don't know. And 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 then, like after a minute, Jesus goes, "Hey, hey, do you guys have anything to eat?" Well, if it, I mean, I, yeah, I guess so. If this is really Jesus, we want to treat him right. We had some fish for dinner. We gave him some of that, but we thought we'd give him some honeycomb too, because we really, we really want to treat Jesus special, you know? Okay, wrong honeycomb. It was this stuff. I tell you what. This is good stuff. If I'm Jesus and I was resurrected, I want honey from the comb. If you've never had this, my my basketball coach in junior high introduced me to this. He said, throw away the Doritos, get rid of the Mountain Dew. You want energy for the game? Pure honeycomb. So good. So good. The way it just oozes from the comb and you spit out the wax. I'll share this with you if you want. (laughs) This is fresh. I got us at Jungle Gyms yesterday. I just opened this. So I'll, I'll cut you a piece afterwards if you want. But here's my point in showing you that. When they record that Jesus eats it and it doesn't just like fall through his body. No, he eats it. It's not Casper the friendly Jesus or Jesus the friendly ghost or however that would go. It's really him in the flesh that even though he can appear out of nowhere he can still eat dinner with him. He can still have a snack with him. And you and I can taste the same things that Jesus tasted, but here's what I'll tell you. It's going to taste better in your resurrected body. You know, when you think about the hope of that future. You know, some of you have heard me talk about my, my aunt. My Aunt Lynn died about uh, actually two years ago this month. And her dad, my grandpa, died a few months before that. And I remember my mom telling me a conversation that, that she had with my grandma. My grandma's memory has been going. I, I think she's 92. I think she's 92 now. Grandpa used to call her Mama Wanda. I suppose he still does, but... This conversation she has with my mom, she says to my mom, "Did you say, did you say that Lynn died?" Yeah, yeah, Grandma, she did. Oh. And Larue's gone too. Yeah, yeah, Grandma, he is. Oh. Well, I don't know what I'm still doing here. Grandma, don't say that. (laughs) You're here because I still want to visit you and hug you and spend time with you. But I've learned two incredible things from her in this season of life where she is now without her husband and without her only daughter. One, my Aunt Lynn and my Grandpa LaRue were followers of Christ who believed that he had resurrection in store for them, eternal life in store for them. And my grandma is so confident of that truth that she knows she will hug Lynn again. She can kiss my grandpa again. They will be together. But even in the midst of that, when I've had other conversations with her in the last couple years, she now tells me things like, you know, I, I figure if I'm still here, then my Savior must still be teaching me something. I love that. What an incredible picture of the relationship she has with the risen Jesus. Because guys, here's the truth. Living in this moment right now, I, I can't touch him physically. I can't see him with my eyes right now. But there will be a moment that we get to rejoice in his physical presence. But we don't have to wait till then to rejoice in his presence. He is with us now. When we sing to him, he's loving it now. He delights in you. He has resurrection life in store for you. And it can start right now. The fact that his body was raised physically, that ours will be too. That's part of why the physical world, as broken as it is, still matters to us. It's it's why we have that giant Christmas tree out in the atrium. Because all those little mittens that are on that tree represent physical things that we give to real people to demonstrate to them how much a physically risen Jesus loves them. So here's your key takeaway for today. Take hold of peace and joy in the risen Jesus. That's the only place that you're going to find it. That's the only way to take hold of it is to take hold of him. And so I'll just ask you, where do you need Jesus to speak peace to you today? Maybe it's a difficult circumstance that you're facing. Maybe it's a, a temptation that you've been giving into that's keeping you from feeling the peace that you have with God. And maybe you need that for the first time. That you've never fully understood, or maybe you've never accepted from him the peace that he offers through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to give you just a moment to pray. Just to yourself, if there's any one of those things that you might ask him, God, would you speak peace to me in this? And if it is for the first time, maybe you just tell him, Jesus, I believe that I need a forgiver and that you are him. I want peace with God through you today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for speaking peace to us. Thank you for taking the time, for loving us enough to show us the reality of your resurrection so that we can have that hope in you. I thank you that you are with us. I pray that you would just continue to be with us even as we leave this place this morning, as we rejoice in you, as we try to think that, you know, maybe I'm the one person. Maybe I'm Thomas. Or maybe I know one person. I know a Thomas that I could introduce you to. Lord, whatever it is, we want to give you all the glory for it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for being here this morning. and, And just one more encouragement for you out of 1 Corinthians 15. He tells us that death is defeated. That's why we have victory. That's why our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So go out there, trust him, live in his peace, and we'll see you next week.